We're using 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19 to 21. And for the purposes of those who have not been with us, I will go back just a little bit, just to make sure everybody's on the same page with us. We're using 1 Kings 19, verse 19 to 21 as our main text. It reads, so Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak, the NIV says, other translations say his mantle around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. I won't read the rest of it. We explained how Elijah and Elisha came into ministry and were ministering at a time in Israel where things were not bad. We explained last week how at this time, when you read the books of 1 Kings and 2 Kings, you see the history of the nation of Israel in the time, from the time of Solomon and right through the time when the nation actually experienced division. And it was a time when we see the fall of the northern kingdom and uh, there were about 722 people who came into captivity by the Assyrians. And we see how the nation on its own was divided both into the northern and the southern kingdom. We explained how the southern kingdom, which was called Judah, was consisting of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. It was only these two tribes where things were going well in the nation. The kings led well. Things were relatively okay. But then you had the other side, which was the other remaining ten tribes, where things were not well among the ten tribes. Even the kings who were leading at that time were not leading well. In fact, when you read, I think there might have been about 19 of them. 17 of them did so many wrong things before the Lord. And it is in this context that God calls Elijah and Elisha. And God places them at this particular time in history. You need to understand that when you are brought into this world, God has a purpose for you. He says in the book of Jeremiah, I know the plans that I have towards you, says the Lord. You are not an accident. You are not here just to take up important space. You are a woman of purpose and a man of purpose. And you are called by God specifically to play a certain role. That you are alive in 2021. That you and I are going through this time of the coronavirus, there has to be something about the predestination and the pre-knowledge of God that there's something in you. Oh, am I not preaching to people here? There's something about you that you need to understand. And so, you know, we don't choose which time in history we must come into the world. Nor do we choose where God must place us. We don't even choose the kind of mental that God must place on our lives. And so God calls these men at a time when the nation is so backslidden and things are so bad. And then Elisha, when the mantle is placed on him by Elijah, he immediately follows. In fact, it says he came, Elijah came and threw his mantle on him. Now, this mantle is very interesting. It was the official garment of the prophet. There were three types of mantles, and the one talked about here. Uh, is the Adareth mantle. There's another mantle that we will talk about next week. But this one is the Adareth mantle. It was a cloak made out of animal hair. It, it was a garment that was also very distinct. It used to be worn by kings, 
but especially by prophets. And when you wore the mantle, it was a sign that you are being automatically marked as a prophet and then as a spokesman of God. Because anybody that God calls, God will equip. Whatever God sends you to, God will equip. God will never assign you to something that he is not going to equip you for. And for that reason, there are people who claim certain assignments. And you know they've claimed certain assignments because you can see they don't have the equipment for the assignment. You see, God must send you. But there are other people who are not sent. They went on their own. And when you went on your own, you are in trouble. I know that's not good English, but that's just as bad as going on your own when there is no mental on your life. Can I hear an amen? amen. Secondly, the mental was also a symbol of calling, a symbol of sacrifice and commitment. In fact, the life of a prophet was not one of luxury, but that one of being called. And so a mental, therefore, and this is how I want to explain it, represents a man's gift. A man's call, and I use man in a generic sense. It represents the purposes for which God has called you. Every one of you, you gifted, you called by God. God has a purpose for your life. And for that reason, there's a mantle that belongs to you that comes from God. And you need to take up that mantle. And I'm going to preach today my heart out and I'm praying to God that as you hear the word of God, you're going to pick up your mantle. Even those of you who are at home or watching there, you've logged on on social media, even in the branches that you are going to pick up your mantle. Tell your neighbor, I'm going to pick up my mantle. Tell them, tell them, tell them. Tell two people, three people, tell them loud. I'm going to pick up my mantle today. The throwing of the mantle over the shoulders of Elijah was a symbolic act denoting that Elisha is being summoned to the office of a prophet. It was also a sure sign of God's gift that enables him to fulfill the prophetic ministry. It was a simple announcement made to say to Elisha, your life changes now. Because you see, the day you decide to take up your mantle, the, the mantle will order you to live your life in a certain way. See, there are people who can go on katabona, marawena, you don't have the luxury to do nomayini because of the mantle on your life. Tell your neighbor, you can't just do nomayini, nomayini. You can't just do nomayini. So when we read the New Testament, we learn that we're also called into the priesthood. Which means, among other things, in the same way people in the Old Testament were called, we are also called. Our calling and our assignments might not be as spectacular. They may not be as large. But nevertheless, we are called by God. We may not be called as prophets necessarily, but wherever you are, you are called. Romans 12 tells us, so in Christ, we who are many form one body. When each member belongs to all others, we have different gifts according to the grace that's given to us. So the mantle is the grace of God. You see, the grace of God is a divine impartation upon your life that enables you to be able to, to, to function in your gifting and your calling without too much effort. When, when you function in your grace, things work for you that don't work for others. When you function in your grace, you can move. In fact, that word adareth, this coat, this cloak, was a cloak that had a lot of room. It was a roomy garment. 
So when you wore it, you had room to move. See, when you are in your mantle, when you are in your grace, you have room to move. When others can't move, they can't succeed. Where now, in your grace, in your mantle, oh, am I, am I talking to people? You have room to move. Tell somebody, I have room to move. I have room to move. I have room to move. That's why, how fitter when nothing start working? Shaba, yaba, 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 yaba. And so we have these graces that God tells us, and it says if your gift is to prophesy, prophesy. If it is to serve, if it's teaching, if it is to lead, if it is to encourage others, do it because it's a grace on your life. Tell your neighbor, I have a grace on my life. 1 Peter 4 says, each one of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in its various forms. So the mantle is God's grace upon you in its various forms. Yeah. All of us Mara, that style, that way comes by the grace of God. Look at your neighbor and say, I see the grace of God on you. I see the grace of God on you. So we see that. So we define that mantle. We've learned that it's a coat, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a cloak, it's roomy. And in a generic sense, therefore, this is where we come in. The mantle speaks of each of, to each of us about God's divine enabling of your life. For you to fulfill your calling. Watch this now. The mantle is a combination of God's gifting, God's ability, God's divine enablement, God's grace, favor, and anointing. Let me say that again. The mantle, therefore, in a generic sense now, speaks of to each one of us about God's divine enablement in your life. It's God's gifting, God's ability, divine enablement, God's grace, God's favor, and the anointing. Let me say that again. All right. When I speak of the mantle in a generic sense, I'm referring to a combination of God's gifting on your life, God's ability, divine enablement, God's grace, God's favor, and the anointing of God for your office. And because of the mantle, being a roomy and loose garment, so by the grace of God, when the mantle falls upon your life, you will have room to move. Watch this now. Room to grow, room to succeed. Because you are the right fit. You are where you belong. And where you belong, you have the grace to do what you do. Hallelujah. Meaning that everything that seeks to restrict you, everything that seeks to hold you back, because of the grace of God, you will still have room to move. But be sure, the day you decide to pick up your mantle and take up your mantle, Satan will stir up all kinds of opposition. Mara, he is too late. He should have stopped you from being born. 
Because the, when you are born, it's already an, an, an announcement that already there's something that has been prepared for you. So you have enough grace to fulfill your God-given vision and to go further in life. Tell your neighbor you'll go further in life. Now here we go. The mental when we read about it in the Bible, it comes upon individuals, families, communities, churches, and nations. I'll show you about the mental on a church next week. Why we want the church to go back? Why do we say people come to church physically by meat? What's the benefit of us sitting together in one place like this under the canopy of the anointing? Why? But today I want to talk about God's mental on families. God in his grace apportions mantles on families. These mantles becomes distinctive features that seems to characterize families. If you look harder on families, you'll note that there are families, families generally seem to be inclined in certain ways. See, the tragedy of this is that the opposite is true, therefore. You can have a family that's characterized by But I want to talk about the other side of the leisure, which I believe is coming upon us no matter what background we come from, which is what this sermon is about. The other side of it, there are good things that characterize families. And if we check, maybe not everybody is aligned that way, but it's the characteristic feature. It's called a distinctive. When you walk into that family, you just see it on the whole family. And it stretches for many generations very often. There are families who are inclined to education. Families who are into business. There are families that are into arts. There are families that are artisans. There are families where we get leaders from. Teachers, musicians, preachers. And the list goes on and on. This doesn't mean that every member of these families will necessarily follow the same path. But when you look at the distinctive features, mostly over several generations, you will notice a certain trend. Unfortunately, we live in a time in the world where people love to be so much of individuals that they often miss the portion they have from God. That is a mental for the family. See, people want to fight so hard to be seen as an individual, and they don't want to live under somebody's shadow, that people will work so hard to come out of that mantle. Unfortunately, if when they come out of it, you find it is not their grace. Because remember, where the mantle is, that's where the grace is. So the same thing, though, is that a family can also drop its mantle and go off course. Even when a certain mantle has been destined by, to them by God. Now, the story of Eli in 1 Samuel chapter 1, and allow me not to read these stories because you can read it at home. I want to tell it for the sake of time. When you read 1 Samuel chapter 1 from verse uh, uh, to chapter 4 all the way into chapter 14, you know something very disturbing about this family of Eli. Eli, history illustrates a family that drops off the opportunity of the mental. Who was Eli? 
He was a judge and a high priest with the prophet Samuel. Him and Samuel, they lived during the same time. Now, remember this. In the Old Testament, for you to be a priest, it was exclusive to certain family lines. You had to be eligible to become a priest. There were several qualifications. I won't go to them. But the one that is of interest to me is you had, it had to come by order of birth. If you were not in that lineage, you could not become a priest. The same way a mantle comes. A mantle comes by order of birth. It is something that is assigned to your family line. It's given to your family line. It's not something we even after you, it will still be there. But most people have not learned how to leverage the mental and to appropriate the mental. And so Eli came into the priesthood. The priesthood became the mandate of the tribe of Levi. So you had to be in the tribe of Levi. Even if there were several categories, even, even then, even if you're in the tribe of Levi, there were still, even on top of that, several categories of function within the temple service. Not everybody was a high priest, even if you're from the tribe of Levi. <laughs> a person of another tribe could not function in this priestly office no matter how many qualities they had. So the office became a mental exclusively reserved for people who were in a particular lineage. The first mention of Eli occurs when we read about this woman by the name of Hannah. Hannah who came into the temple because she was grieving so hard as a childless woman coming before God with intercessory prayer. But Eli, the man of God, was so disconnected from God that he couldn't see when his congregant was seeking the face of God. And Eli blames this woman of being drunk when the poor woman, all she's doing is to express her bitter heart before God. But let me say at the same time, Eli was a deeply pious man whose service to the Lord really was unblemished. However, one mistake with Eli, he was a lax father, L-A-X. He didn't discipline his sons. And I want to say to you as parents, if you don't discipline your children, you are more likely to put them up on a path where they will miss the mental that comes on their lineage. When I talk about discipline, I'm not talking about abuse, I'm not talking about beating up, but you've got to learn to discipline your children. Because I can tell you one thing, Satan fights hard to try and take the children out of their mental and divide a family. Eli, unfortunately, didn't discipline his two sons. These two boys, Phineas and Hophni. The Bible tells us these two boys, they'd go to the temple and they would take the meat that is sacrificed to the animals that was dedicated to God and they would use it on themselves. Even worse, they would have sexual relations with the women who were assembled at the door of the tabernacle. You read that in 1 Samuel chapter 2. And so because of that, God pronounced divine judgment on Eli for his failure to discipline his sons. And these two boys, I want to say, they dropped the ball. They became the weak link in the family line. I pray to God that you don't become the weak link in your family. You know, I, 
I sometimes watch children born in good homes, raised well, taught well, things being modeled to them, but somehow they find the world more attractive. And because they don't want to grow under this mold, this mold of worshipping God, this mold of not smoking, not drinking, not taking drugs, not running around with men, not running around with women. They want to express themselves. They run into evil and what they don't realize, they become the weak link over something that's been in the family lineage that has been a grace and a mantle in your family. And they want to establish themselves and they start messing up their lives. I pray to God you are not that weak link. I pray to God I am not that weak link. I know in my family line, God has always raised preachers. I know that. And I know you got, some of you got to read the family history alone and check the things that have happened in your family. You must be aware of them. Because the sins of your forefathers and your fathers and your mothers have a way of creeping up on us. Can you find that things that got our parents off course are things that potentially can get us off course? You have to fight hard in your family. These things go family alone in a default mechanism. Listen to years later, even without you doing anything, they are attracted to you. And when you understand mental, you will fight these things with everything in you because you gotta break out of the mode. I said you gotta break out of the mode. You gotta fight them with everything, even if you are the only one calling Eli's boys could have belonged to a powerful lineage of priests but they dropped the ball oh they dropped the ball like children who dropped the ball from family Sabaruti children who dropped the ball from family sub-business people, children who drop the ball from family of musicians when they already have everything laid out for them but they drop the ball. I pray to God you don't drop the ball. I said, I pray to God you don't drop the ball. And I'll show you how not to drop the ball just now. Hallelujah. But then we read another story, an inspiring story, of families that were of course, Mara, one person in the family. Realized or I've got to do something. Sometimes it's not that the families have done evil or wrong, but they have not yet risen to their full potential. Sometimes families have to deal with so many problems and challenges. I told you last week, Bazalana, that uh, we buried the elder sister, Wama Bishop, firstborn sister, Sister Aine, fondly known as Mamukulu. It was very painful for us, the funeral. I don't think we've had a time to grieve yet. I haven't. Certainly I haven't. And when I was talking to my bishop, I remember when I, when I got married to my bishop, the few weeks after we got married, we went over to Mamukolo, 
who at this time ona nalukoma fikengen and uh, we stayed with her for that weekend i admire this lady still do today i admire the impact she's had on my wife my bishop shaping her to be the woman my bishop's mom and mamkhulu who was like a mother to her when we were writing the obituary of mamkhulu my bishop said it very very emotionally she said you know my sister lifted the standard of my family because she said and she doesn't mind me saying this i asked her i'm going to talk about mamkhulu can i say it she said please go ahead you see their mom the late mamdi sakeng she was a domestic worker their dad was a blue collar worker they were not people who really really were in the upper echelons of work and so on they were regular laborers who struggled with life but when mama khulu was born she she decided to lift up the standard of the family she was a highly educated woman had degrees and had traveled to many parts of the world you'd never tell when you are with mama khulu never such a humble spirit she served us here in our church so well without asking for anything you would never even know her and in the family she inspired the other sisters such that several of the sisters have got degrees in the same family and when my bishop was telling her the role she's played in the family i cried because she was that one person who tried to lift up the family i have a sense today that i'm looking at people like that this morning i have a sense today that maybe that's why god inspired me to preach this sermon because i was going to preach this sermon not knowing that mama khulu is going to be passing on and i'm praying and i'm asking you whoever you are will you be that person who will take up the mantle let me give you a bible example in first kings 22 we read the story of a young man by the name of Josiah let me read it for you i'm just reading two verses Josiah was 8 years old when he began to reign and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem and his mother's name was Jedida the daughter of Adiah of Boshkan verse 2 and Josiah did that which was right in the sight of God and walked in all the way of his father and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left hand let me illustrate a bit this boy is 8 years old listen to me pastor some of you from a very young age you've been sensing the spirit of god wooing you inspiring you nudging you into a direction that sometimes is different to what you find in your home that's in a backsliding stage go hire ba no kaofela you've never had an attraction to alcohol batuba kaofela you don't want to do that batola kaofela au batloetsa jwana and some of you have not understood why god is doing that in your life some of you you don't understand why is it you are the only one koluna oyangoke rekeng even now 
You don't understand that. But I want to tell you, God is concerned about your lineage. And God has chosen somebody. And that somebody is you. Like Josiah. From the age of eight, this boy could not turn himself off. He couldn't behave like the normal eight-year-olds. There was something about him. You see it in the life of Jesus. At the age of 12, he is sitting in the temple with the teachers of the law. There's something about this child. Some of you, you have children like that. And you've not known how to nurture it. How to nurture that gift. Josiah comes into a time in the book of kings where the different reignings of different kings of Israel is chronicled. A turbulent time where the historian says it was between 970 and 587 B.C. Some of the kings were ethical, honest, morally pure, but unfortunately the majority of the kings led people astray. Some even openly encouraging people to worship other gods. The most common sayings when you read in the book of Kings is the phrase, and king so and so did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. It's something that repeats itself like a vicious cycle where you see a family that goes through a vicious cycle of evil and wrong all the time. At least Josiah, and I'm looking at some Josiahs this morning. I said I'm preaching to some Josiahs this morning. (laughs) Josiah was one of the rare ones. And the Bible says he did what was right. He had the courage to be different. He had the courage to stand for what's right, even in the midst of people who would criticize him. Josiah ascended the throne at the age of eight. We are told that he was the son of Amnon, the grandson of Manasseh. Wow. Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh, practiced evil. Josiah's father, Amnon, continued in the evil practices. This boy was never had, had never had a home where there was an example laid before him. From childhood, that's all the modeling he got. But there was something inside of him. These were bad examples that if Josiah had to choose, he could easily say, what chance did I have? Like many today, blame everybody for the destiny of your life. They were never there for me. They didn't spend time with me. They didn't have Uzuel. They didn't connect with me emotionally. We live in a time where people want to blame everything and everybody for things that happen to them. And yet, the breath of God in you is trying to inspire you. Yeah, I know it's hard. I understand. I know it's difficult to be the only one who has to embrace certain things. I understand. But please understand the destiny of your lineage rests on your shoulders. Will you have the guts to take up the mantle and say, Highland, I will do what is right. I will do what is right. This young man who had witnessed idolatry, violence, deceit, 
covetousness. Yet he intentionally chose what was different. The scripture says these four things quickly that I close with. Number one, it says he did what was right in the sight of God. Number two, he walked in the ways of David, his father. Number three, he did not turn aside. And number four, we see the success of his life. Let me close with these four things to show you how you can pick up your mental. Learning from Josiah. It says, number one, he did what was right in the sight of God. Number one, practice self-leadership. And lean on to God with everything in you. Pray, love Jesus, read the word, be filled with the Holy Spirit, live in purity, do what's right, whether anybody else does or not in your family. You do it. You do it. He did what was right. At a point, Basalana, we need to learn to lead ourselves. You have to take hold of your life and say, as for now, this is the direction I'm going to go. Number two, it says he walked in the ways of David, his father. What does it mean? He lived a value-based life. We live in a world that has no values. Today, there's no right or wrong. People live in the gray area. We live in a liberal society where anything goes and everything will justify things. Not that there are no values anymore. Be a man and a woman of values. Values based on the word of God. No matter how much the world changes, there are things that are wrong. It doesn't matter how much society wants to justify them. Is it wrong? Live by values. Number three, it says he did not turn aside. What does it mean? He was a focused young man. Have focus. Be focused on what you want to achieve. Keep your eyes where God is taking you. Have focus in your life. And in conclusion, the Bible says he succeeded, which means his self-leadership brought change in his family. But it not only ended with the family, it extended to the nation at large. Can you look at me, everybody? As the music is playing in the background, just play the instruments. Can you look at me, please? Just stop writing if you don't mind. I want to ask you a question. You don't need to answer me. Answer it in your heart. Can God rely on you to take up the mental? Can your family rely on you to take up the mental? Can your community rely on you to take up the mantle? Can your nation rely on you? The more I look at the direction our nation is taking, is the more I'm convinced change is not going to come from all those people who are up there. Change is going to come through the normal everyday Susie and John who are not on the front pages of newspapers. They don't belong to a certain political party. They are not up there with the bishops and the great people. But they're the ordinary everyday people who listens to the promptings of the Holy Spirit in their heart. When God whispers to them, 
Will you take up the mantle? Let us pray. This is your time to invite Christ in your life. To ask him to come into your heart. And be the savior and the Lord of your life. This is the time for you. To lay before God your life. And say, God, here is my life. Will you follow me in this prayer, everybody? Let us pray as you receive Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I invite Jesus Christ to come into my heart to be the Savior and the Lord of my life. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for coming into my heart and making me a child of God. Today, I decide to take up my mantle. I need to do it for my sake, for the sake of my family, for the sake of my community, for the sake of my nation. In the name of Jesus. Raise your hands and begin to pray in the Holy Ghost, everybody.